This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite, joined as always by my punch drunk predictions partner in crime, Patrick Schwieglinski. Did I get it right? I'm working on it. Oh, yeah. You're good. You are good. Look you at that. You sent me a text. You told me I needed to do better. Uh, I worked Spot on up. it this afternoon. We're good? We are great. Look at that. All right. I figure if we get it right off the top, it allows me to not get it right later in the show. But I will continue <laughs> to try to do my best, as we always do here on the podcast. Coming to you on Thursday evening. We wanted to jump back on and, and do just a quick kind of preview podcast for this weekend's event in Portland, Oregon. Yes, there is a fight night event this weekend in Portland, Oregon. That feels like a good place to start because I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like this card has been completely overshadowed. I get it a little bit in the sense that there's been a lot of stuff going on with the UFC 205 announcements, that press conference, which we talked about earlier in the week. But it feels like this is one of those things that keeps happening with the UFC. I wrote about it today on Keyboard Kimura. That story is up online at theprovince.com slash MMA blog. What do you think the UFC can do to kind of avoid these situations where a couple of really good and really important fights are completely off the radar less than 48 hours before they hit the cage? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tricky situation. I mean, first of all, in, in general, it's always been a, a challenge of the UFC getting people interested in the little guys in, in general. And, and that's just being honest. I mean, when you you look at the main event of this fight, uh, you know, of this fight card, uh, you got two of the very best, you know, lighter weight fighters, um, you know, going against each other and John Lineker and John Donson, two very compelling fighters. Two guys who are on, you know, uh, you know, an upswing as far as their careers are going, but it seems like, you know, again, we're in this kind of situation where this card is getting, you know, buried again, and and it always seems to come around some sort of announcement, or it always, I don't know, it always feels like it's coming off in a, a Conor McGregor press conference or a Conor McGregor fight that the next week, the the event right after, something big related to a to a Conor McGregor situation, it just seems like all eyes are, you know, on Conor McGregor and the the whole situation that's going on with UFC 205 that people forget there's actual fights going on in Portland this weekend, which is, you know, pretty unfortunate because, as you said, there's a couple of uh, pretty interesting matchups on this card when you when you look at it. You know, obviously, you know, the, the fight we just mentioned with Dodson and um, Lineker is, is a big one for the bantamweight division. A lot of interesting implications there. You have a guy like, uh, Lou Smolka and, you know, Will Brooks on this card as well, who we'll talk about later. Um, I, you know, it, it, for me in terms of, you know, what the UFC can do, 
you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm open to ideas. I mean, if you got anything that, that, you know, that you think that they could do better, because I'm just trying to think what, you know, locating the problem even for me is, is difficult. Why people necessarily aren't, you know, uh, as, you know, tuned into this as maybe they should be. And, uh, I mean, maybe part of that is the UFC not promoting this as much as, you know, they have other cards as well. I've, I've seen very little about it leading up to, you know, um, the event itself. The, the only really, you know, piece of information that, that kind of hit was seeing a Tandon McCrory interview, which was leading up to the UFC 205 press conference. So, um, I, you know, I, I'm open to suggestions. I'd like to hear what, what, what you think the UFC should do. I mean, there's a lot to unpack in terms of what goes into creating this sort of perfect storm situation of this card being overshadowed, relegated to the background, however you want to put it. One being that we are in week seven of a nine-week stretch with consecutive Saturdays of there being fight cards. So there are, are bound to be events that get lost in the shuffle when that happens, no matter what. Then you throw in the UFC 205 press conference and news, um, which involves the biggest name in the game, Conor McGregor, and a bunch of other important fights. And I think those things always, always combine to sort of overshadow whatever else is going on. And I actually think the UFC tried to do the right thing by doing that press conference on a Tuesday, hoping that, you know, if you do it early enough in the week, maybe by Wednesday, Thursday, the news stories of everything died down. They can't know that Jose Aldo is going to say he wants to quit and be released and walk away, which sort of continues everything going. But this is an issue to me that has been going on for the UFC for a long time. I remember being in Seattle for one of the first Fox events there, Benson Henderson against Nathan Diaz. It was the day that they rolled out Ronda Rousey and christened her the inaugural woman on the UFC roster, gave her her UFC belt. Dana White also mentioned that day at that event's press conference that GSP and Nick Diaz were going to fight. And I flat out asked him in the scrum, this was back in the days that they still did scrums, I said, are you worried that all of this news is going to overshadow the fight card that takes place two days from now? That is a very good card that people should be talking about, but here you drop some bombshells on the world. He called me an idiot, told me I was wrong, read the list of the main card and said, there's no way people aren't going to be talking about it. And the MMA world responded by spending the next 36 hours talking about Ronda Rousey and the GSP Nick Diaz fight. So I think there's there's sort of a little bit of not learning from, from previous mistakes and not learning lessons at play here. The other part of it is just that the schedule doesn't really allow them a lot of open opportunities, especially, as I said, being in week seven of nine. And I think really, and, and I know this is going to be one of those things that that we've brought up and has been discussed myriad times in the past, but pulling back on the number of events and not having a run like this where you go nine straight weeks, give yourself a little bit of room so that some of this stuff can breathe, so that some of this stuff does have room to grow and be discussed at length and in depth the way it deserves to be without really costing a fight card and, and a couple of important fights that just end up getting absolutely, you know, taken under by the by the force of the waves crashing down on them with everything else that's going on. 
Yeah, and I definitely agree with that notion that, you know, there is some, you know, I guess, fight fatigue, if you will, uh, in terms of the number of events that are being put on. I mean, I even, you know, uh, texted you earlier in the week, and I'm like, hey, I'm looking forward to UFC 204. And you're like, what? Uh, That's next weekend, bud. And, you know, it just even goes to show um, someone, you know, who who is, you know, actively following the sport as much as, you know, I, I try to. You know, I, even even the number of events that come out sometimes, you know, it's hard to keep up at, at points in time. You're, you're definitely dealing with a lot more events than ever before in any period of time in the UFC's history. And, you know, I, I think it's a valid point to say that maybe there is a little too much going, 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 you know, um, too many events get scheduled back to back to back. And, um, you know, that's that's an issue that obviously for the UFC, you know, I don't know if if it's something that you know they they want to necessarily bring down the number of events. I mean, their their goal is to you know um, kind of roll out as many as they can and and keep people interested and keep people you know tuning in. So I don't really know what they can they can you know in, in terms of um, you know, rectifying that issue. I mean, I, I think you know from from my perspective, I would definitely love to see you know the number of events at least a little to uh, you know uh, um, you know a little a little less events uh, every every month. There doesn't have to be one every single week necessarily. Um, you know, because when even when you look back at the history, you know, it was sort of a special event when there was a UFC fight going on a lot of times and. You know, it was something to look forward to. There was a, a build-up for it. There was the you know proper marketing, proper you know time to get excited for something. Sometimes now it just feels like you know every week like there's a you know a football game. Uh, you know that that's kind of where the UFC is. There's something every week, and and you know there's these bye weeks in between sometimes. But you know for for a organization like the UFC. You, you know, you don't have that luxury of something like football where, you know, that audience is already built in. You need to get people invested in these fighters and at least, you know, if not invested, you need to get them interested in these fighters enough to, you know, turn on their TV and say, all right, I want to spend my Saturday night and watch these fights. So I think that's, uh, you know, one of the challenges that they're facing right now as an organization. And it'll be interesting to see what they, you know, uh, do with that moving forward. Well, and it's interesting that you mention the NFL in there and the fact, you know, that league obviously runs for 17 consecutive weeks of the regular season, then into playoffs, a few preseason games before that. And fans tune in week in and week out without fail. It is the most watched sport um, in North America. I almost said the world and the soccer fans would have went crazy on me. <laughs> but the thing with that is you you know it's the same players on the same teams every week every season you're able to track those people and there's also that off season where there is that extended period of building up some excitement to see it come back and to get ready for it to return which the UFC doesn't have both in that there are very few off weeks there's no actual off season and week to week, it's a different collection of fighters. So as you said, it isn't just a thing where people can parachute in and go, oh, yeah, it's the UFC. So it's this guy versus this guy. You know, not it's not even akin to wrestling where you know the, the main stars that you're going to see from week to week on Monday Night Raw or SmackDown. 
it's a different cast every time. And so you need fans to be engaged and, and understand who these people are. Yes, there are going to be some that drop in and, and are entertained regardless of the fact that they don't necessarily know much about the participants, but it's always better when, when we know who these guys are. And I think that's the part that's missing. And the other part, and I mentioned this in my piece today, is that a lot of the times when these cards kind of end up being the one that just happens to by, you know, the collection of events going on, get passed over and kind of pushed aside, there's still important things happening. And down the road, be it the next fight or two fights from now, the people involved on this card are going to be needed to be bigger stars or contenders. Like you look at this main event and the winner of this is very much in the mix in a division that we're acutely aware of and keenly focused on this year as Bantamweight has sort of had a resurgence with the return of Dominic Cruz to the top of the division and some new names, including these two guys, climbing the ranks to become contenders. And so for this fight and this card to get lost to the shuffle sort of gives me that sense of dread for the future where whoever wins this, we're going to need them to to be a star and to be a draw and to be somebody that's paired up with one of the bigger names in the division. And this is the chance where you have the opportunity to really introduce them and it's being missed. So it's going to be interesting to see both what the ratings numbers are like for this show once it's passed and just kind of how these guys and these main fighters on this main card are received and recalled going forward the next time out because this really does feel like it's going to be a bit of a missed opportunity to promote some of the key names on this fight card. It's the Keyboard Kimura podcast on Province Sports Radio. E. Spencer Kite, Patrick Shviklinski. Want to get into this fight card a little bit. We're going to skip right through to the main card. Flyweight prospect Louis Smolka, originally scheduled to fight Sergio Pettis. The younger half of the Pettis brothers was forced to withdraw about 10 days ago now. Smolka obviously upset about it. Made some stupid comments on social media, as one is wont to do in those situations. But he's a guy that has quietly put together a very nice winning streak in the flyweight division. Sort of sits as one of those guys that we're not quite sure yet whether he's a legitimate contender or whether he's a guy that's still putting it together and figuring it out. The problem, of course, is that flyweight is devoid of contenders, which is why we have an Ultimate Fighter season going on right now, trying to find a new challenger. And the guy that Smolka is actually going to face, Brandon Moreno, was is a contestant, or was a contestant, I should say, on the show. Took on Alexander Pantoja in the first fight of the season. He was the number 16 seed. He got bounced right away. Gets the chance to fill in here for Sergio Pettis. What are your thoughts on Louis Smolka? Is this a guy that is a legit contender, just hasn't gotten the opportunity to truly prove it in that marquee matchup yet? Or is he a guy that's kind of just beaten up on, on fighters on the fringes to look better than maybe he is? Um, you know, uh, I, I do think that, you know, he is a, a legitimate contender in this flyweight division. I mean, especially obviously when you consider, uh, as you were saying, you know, how void of contenders that division actually is. Um, you know, he's, he's beaten some legitimate guys already. You know, Neil Seary, uh, you know, veteran guy that, you know, he beat in a, you know, unanimous decision last year at UFC 189. And then 
submitted Patty Holohan and um, you know most recently Ben Yugen uh, at uh, you know another John Lineker matchup uh, against Michael McDonald in South Dakota. So I think that you know he he's a very interesting um, you know guy in that division and and he's a pretty exciting fighter when he's putting it together and and he's really you know on his game he's finishing fights um, you know and he has some different you know. Uh, weapons in his arsenal he has a good ground game and he has you know pretty good strikes in his arsenal um i i do think that this is a guy to to look you know to look at down the line and especially in in a division void of a lot of you know uh contenders there it is unfortunate i think um you know that sergio pettis is is kind of not in this fight anymore because i would have loved to have seen what smolka could do against someone like sergio pettis who's another <coughs> budding prospect in that division and a, and a guy to look out for. Um, I definitely think that he needs that signature win. I don't know if Sergio Pettis was necessarily going to be that signature win. I mean, if he came in there and, and beat Pettis in impressive fashion in the first round, then maybe, but even still, I think he needs, you know, um, you know, even if he wins this fight against uh, Brandon Moreno, I think that he needs another fight against, you know, probably a, a top, you know, top top five, top eight kind of guy that, uh, you know, he can go in there and really put on a signature performance and really make a name for himself in that division. I think that, you know, that's what he needs. But I think he's, you know, made all the right steps so far. He's only lost once inside the octagon uh, split decision against uh, Chris Cariasso. You know, that was back in 2014. And I think this is a guy to definitely look out for in that division. And I think he's only going to continue to get better. But I would certainly like to see him against a, you know, bigger challenge because in some ways it feels like, you know, and no disrespect to Brendan Moreno, but it kind of feels like a step back in, in some sense because, you know, he was going a little bit up in competition with each fight a little bit. And it seemed like, you know, uh, Sergio Pettis would be a natural, you know, solid step up in competition. But now he kind of has to, you know, take the replacement fight and, you know, hopefully he passes with flying colors here. Yeah, I'm sort of at a at a holding period with Lewis Smolka right now, just because, as you said, he hasn't had that step up in competition. He hasn't gotten an opportunity to face someone that I look at and go, okay, I know where this guy's ceiling is. I know where his floor is. I know where he fits in the division. Um, would have loved to see him get an opportunity to fight a guy like Ali Bagutinov. Um, Ian McCall, who seems to have had all kinds of trouble finding a fight and finding an opponent that could stay healthy to fight. Um, really would have loved to see Lewis Smoke get a chance to jump in there in one of those opportunities and fight Uncle Creep because I think that would be the right kind of litmus test for me. I think this is it's still a very dangerous fight. It's one where, as you said, it, it probably feels like a bit of a step back in competition. Obviously, late replacement, nothing you can do about that. But Moreno is a tough kid. He is a guy that can get in there and sling with him. So Lewis Smolka is going to have to mind his P's and Q's to make sure he keeps this winning streak going and maintains his position in the division. I do think long-term in the next couple of years, he has the skill set to be there. Um, a little bit of a different fighter than Max Holloway, but some of the same traits in terms of the toughness, the length, the ability to mix things up. I think he's a little bit better on the ground than Blessed is, whereas Max is just dynamite in terms of his striking. But I think this is a group as a as a team, that Hawaii elite MMA team, 
that can really take a collective step forward in the next couple of years. And Louis Smolka will very much be a part of that. Co-main event for this card is, as we mentioned earlier, the sophomore appearance in the octagon for former Bellator lightweight champ, Ill Will Brooks, went out in his debut and basically did what Will Brooks does and won sort of a not particularly memorable, grind him out kind of win over Ross Pearson, a durable guy, a veteran guy. But it was one of those fights that, you know, for me coming away from it, it didn't, it let me know that yes, Will Brooks is is above the Ross Pearson level of talent, but it didn't blow me away. And I think for a lot of people, Will Brooks' signing and, and him joining the UFC 55-pound weight class was a, all right, let's see how good this guy can be. And first impressions weren't that great. I think there's probably a little bit of a bring the expectations back down to earth. To me, this fight is more important even than the fight with Ross Pearson because a second, even if he goes out and gets another victory, another kind of grind him out, not really leave you with anything memorable performance is going to make it very hard to picture Will Brooks really making a run in the division because there are just so many guys and a constant sea of new contenders climbing up the ranks and putting on strong performances that he needs to go out and look great against Alex Oliveira for me to really remember him and consider him for some of these marquee matchups that he's asking for. Like, he was hoping to get Michael Johnson here. So if you're looking for that kind of caliber of opponent, you need to go out and show in the UFC that you belong in the cage with that kind of guy. And this is his, this is his opportunity. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. I mean... I think we're at that stage with Will Brooks where it's like, well, show me something because, at, you know, that division and, and those, you know, the top of the heap guys, you got Eddie Alvarez, you got Habib Nurmagomedov, you got RDA, Tony Ferguson. I don't think he's at that level of, of those guys just yet, you know, or at least he hasn't shown it inside the octagon yet. Um, this is a great opportunity for him against a, you know, a pretty dangerous guy in Alex Oliveira who you know, has some great striking and, and we've seen, you know, so surprise some opponents in the past. He's, you know, a, a pretty dangerous dude in his own right. So I think, you know, for Will Brooks, I think he should take this as an opportunity to really come out there and put on a good performance that he gets a finish in. Because like you said, if he gets another kind of grind him down performance, you know, it's a win. It moves him forward you know, in a very, very minor way, I think. And given, you know, the landscape of that 155 pound division, you know, like, like I was just saying, I mean, look, just look at the top guys in that division and they're all, you know, absolute studs. So, um, I think for, for Brooks, definitely it's, and I think it's the right step for him to get an opponent like Alex Oliveira coming off that Ross Pearson fight, because, you know, um, someone like a Michael Johnson, uh, he hasn't shown me enough to be able to merit, you know, a uh, performance, yeah, a, a fight against someone like that, you know, he he does need to show a little bit more that, you know, he can be a very dangerous and explosive, you know, fighter, and to really get those big name matchups. I mean, that's un- unfortunately the way it is right now. You know, the UFC was okay with letting someone like a like a Benson Henderson walk, you know, largely based on the fact that you know. 
fans didn't see him as an exciting kind of figure in that division. And, and there's so many guys who are very, you know, electrifying and explosive at, at 155 pounds that, you know, even if you're winning, you, you definitely have to have a little bit extra in that division. I find that to really kind of set yourself apart from a lot of these guys, you can't be just winning unanimous decisions or split decisions and kind of just, you know, um, eking your way through decisions. You really have to take that extra step to be recognized in that division. That's not to say that you can't put together wins that way. You certainly can. You can have a, a nice run, but are people going to remember you? Are people going to tune into Will Brooks fights if he's just, you know, having these grind and decision fights? Probably not. So I think that for him, this is a great opportunity to just come in there and really put on a statement performance. Yeah, it's interesting. It it sort of reminds me a little bit of when Hector Lombard came over from Bellator. Obviously, Will Brooks won his debut. Hector Lombard did not. But we had these elevated expectations for the former middleweight champ. And he fell short initially and, and never really reached that level that we expected. Both when he fought at middleweight the first time, then when he went down to welterweight, and subsequently now having gone back up to middleweight. I just wonder, as you said, with the number of guys that are established in that top 10, which begins at number 10 with Brooks's teammate, Dustin Poirier, who just lost a couple weeks ago, is he going to be able to be a guy that goes out there and puts on the kind of performances necessary to climb that ladder? He got sort of almost the benefit of the doubt by coming over as the Bellator champion to already be at number 11 in the division based on what he did in that organization. And you can't deny the fact that he's gone out and, and has a very nice winning streak coming into this fight. A couple victories over Michael Chandler, the current Bellator champ. But it just feels like between this fight and maybe his next fight, we need to see something special from Will Brooks that makes you think, okay, this is a guy that can beat the Edson Barbosas of the world and the Michael Chiesas of the world. Because if you can't beat those guys and you don't give me something that makes me think, all right, now I really want to see that fight and I think Will Brooks has a very good chance in those fights, then you're not even getting close to the Michael Johnsons or the Donald Cerrone's if he wants to go back down to 55 or guys in that range. And so the pressure is very much on. Yes, it's always important to go out and get victories, and Will Brooks has been exceptional at doing that over the course of his career, enters at 19-1, and one, has won nine consecutive fights heading into this one. But at some point, you need to make a statement, and this weekend feels like the time when he really needs to do that because there's not a lot else on this card that people are going to be looking at, people are going to be expecting much from, and he's a guy that enters with expectations. So hopefully Ill Will can go out, have the kind of performance that we expect and that we want to see from him to figure out a little bit better where he stands in the UFC lightweight division. It's the Keyboard Kamara podcast on Province Sports Radio. East Spencer Kite, Patrick Shviglinski. Get around now to the main event, a flyweight matchup between a pair of Johns with knockout power, Lineker and Dodson. We will have our Punch Drunk predictions up on Friday as people are tuning into this and checking this podcast out. We differ in our assessments of this fight, but I think we both agree that it is a 
terrific fight and one that has a lot of implications in the division. John Lineker has looked phenomenal since moving up from flyweight where he always struggled to make weight, going out and picking up victories most recently, as you mentioned earlier, against Michael McDonald in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. He is 3-0 and since moving to bantamweight. John Dodson followed that same path after suffering a pair of setbacks to Demetrius Johnson in title fights, went out in his first fight back in the division, and just starched Manny Gambirian. With these two guys both already in the top 10, and that division continuing to sort of churn things over, Uriah Faber taking a step back, Michael McDonald, as we said, losing to John Lineker earlier, this feels like a fight where the winner is kind of in that top five, top seven range. And that's something that, as we talked about off the top, people really need to know about and pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, this is certainly a important, you know, uh, matchup in, the, in that bantamweight division. And when, you know, when these guys initially sort of uh, came into the bantamweight division, you know, Particularly, I remember thinking back on on John Lineker, um, you know, when he finally made that leap up to bantamweight after missing weight so many times at flyweight. Um, you know, I was a little disappointed initially. I mean, it, it was like, damn, he's never going to, you know, have that matchup with, with Mighty Mouse that a lot of people wanted to see. Um, you know, there, there was a little, uh, a little bit of an air of disappointment around that move at first. And then you saw what he started doing at bantamweight when he, you know, actually got into the octagon against guys like Francisco Rivera, Rob Font, and most recently Michael McDonald. You know, at first I was like, you know, this guy might have some problems with a lot of these taller, bigger guys in this division, but zero problems, (laughs) zero problems at all. And he has looked, you know, probably even better as a bantamweight than he has as a flyweight. So the excitement level, you know, now for him as a bantamweight contender, I think has gone up tenfold for me just, you know, off the strength of his most recent performances and what he's been able to do. He's a lot more comfortable. He comes in there, doesn't have to worry as much about that weight cut. You know, Uh, I'm sure, you know, weight cut is always going to be a concern for John Lineker, but you know, definitely that, that 10 pounds gives you, a little bit of breathing space. It's not quite as bad. And for John Dodson, it's it's kind of the same thing. The when he initially went up to bantamweight, you know, and I know that he did compete, you know, on the Ultimate Fighter as a, as a bantamweight, obviously, and and certainly did well there by by winning the you know tournament uh, against T.J. Dillashaw, no less. But I think after you know a few years of seeing him at flyweight, you know. I, I started identifying with him as a as a flyweight guy and and the move to bantamweight I thought you know that this is another thing where it's like ah, I I don't know you know he's a, he's kind of a smaller guy and it seems like he had no problems you know uh with 37 seconds is all he needed against Manny Gamburian and I think what we're seeing is that these guys even though they're you know a little bit smaller than the traditional bantamweight in terms of height at least um, they make up for it in, for John Lineker, it's power. And for John Dodson, it's that friggin' speed, man. That guy is just so fast. So you have now these two very exciting bantamweight contenders. And I think, uh, for me at least, they came from an unexpected place. I didn't really think of these guys as, 
you know, um, being able to kind of make their mark in that bantamweight division. And, uh, you know, now John Dodson has sort of reaffirmed that with, with that win over Manny Gamburian. He hasn't been back in, you know, at 135, um, you know, that long. He's only had one fight at bantamweight. But this is a guy who, who fought at bantamweight for, for, you know, a period in time and, and won, you know, the, uh, the ultimate fighter 14 against TJ Dillashaw, who's a former champion. So you can't, you know, uh, discredit these guys just because they're a little bit shorter. They, they have, you know, that, that factor that they can go on and challenge for titles, I think in this division. Now, now we're seeing that it's pretty clear as day. Yeah. They're both guys that are, are further examples that, you know, sometimes getting down to that lowest possible weight you can make isn't necessarily the most beneficial thing you can do in your career. As you mentioned off the top there, both guys look better, look fresh. Obviously, John John Dodson has had a very short, short amount of reference point, a very small sample size so far since going back to bantamweight, but he does have that in the past. Um, they do carry the power. They do carry their speed up there. And that sort of makes up for, as you mentioned, that, that sort of little bit of lack of height and lack of overall physical stature against some of these potentially bigger bantamweight guys. In terms of this matchup itself, you mentioned it as a, as a power versus speed matchup. I look at it as a power versus power. Dodson's mm-hmm. biggest weapon, yes, he is absolutely blazing fast, but he loves throwing that left hand. And I think this is one of those fights that's going to end up being, or potentially could end up being similar to the way things played out with John Lineker and and Francisco Rivera in that we just get these crazy 30-second bursts of explosive action where we're glued to our televisions and we're at the end of our seat. And I think with a fight like that, regardless of how it plays out, it's a crime that these guys aren't getting the attention that they deserve it's unfortunate that in this main event opportunity when we should be learning more about them and, and Dodson's a little more experienced or established, sorry, because he did have that time on the ultimate fighter because he has challenged Demetrius Johnson for the flyweight title twice, but I'm picking Lineker. And so I look at it and go, this is our chance to tell people more about John Lineker, this dude from Brazil that is just an absolute knockout artist and a cult favorite. And it feels like that's getting missed. I just hope that going forward, we don't have to sort of continue to to build this guy up again and try to introduce him again because he's already done enough. And if he goes out and, and blisters John Dodson in this one, he's going to be in that conversation. And, and he was already talking about it this week in Portland and saying, look, if I go out and beat this dude, I deserve a title shot more so than Cody Garbrandt whom he was supposed to face earlier this year in Pittsburgh. That part can be debated, and I can argue both sides of that at a later date once we get closer to figuring out who is going to challenge Dominic Cruz next. But do you think the UFC really is missing an opportunity here in in promoting this dude? And is it really just sort of, as we talked about off the top, kind of the collateral damage of of the Conor McGregor show that took place earlier this week? Yeah, I mean... For, with, with John Lineker, all you have to do is run back his highlight reel. <laughs> it's Lineker, true. This is this it, is it, the it, good it, thing. You could just press play yeah. on the Francisco <laughs> Rivera fight and watch two minutes of nonstop ridiculousness that had me giggling on <laughs> press row. 
And yeah. that tells you all you need to know about this dude. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing with with some of these guys. That's I, I, I guess the problem that they're running into, you know, and and it's kind of you know an unfortunate thing because you know John Lineker's he doesn't speak much English from what I can gather, and and always has a translator with him, and he's not much of a guy who you know calls out people or talks a lot or whatever. But man, his performances speak for themselves, and you really just got to start promoting it on the strength of that like there's a place in this sport i think for guys like conor mcgregor who talk all the time and you know he conor mcgregor obviously a very great fighter he has great performances but i mean a lot of people what they remember from conor mcgregor is how much shit he talks let's be honest and there's a spot you know for guy for a guy like conor mcgregor but there's also spots for guys like john lineker who just go out there and just wreck shop, you know, and they just go in there and destroy guys in the octagon. So I think that the UFC needs to find that balance in promoting a guy like a John Lineker in the right way and and really just kind of show him as this, you know, humble, quiet dude who just goes out there and friggin' kills people in the octagon. And, you know, that that's one of the things that I think that now sort of seeing what, you know, Conor McGregor has brought to the table. This is a a byproduct of that, unfortunately, is that a lot of these guys are trying to take, you know, those steps to maybe become more, a little more like Conor McGregor when some guys are just, you know, most guys, 99% of fighters aren't Conor McGregor, obviously, and, and don't have that thing where they can go out and talk as much as he does and, and promote it that way. You, you sometimes just need to give these guys a little help and, and boost them up, you know, in other ways. You don't really have to do much uh, for Conor McGregor in terms of marketing. You put him in front of a camera, you give him a microphone, and guess what? Million pay-per-views. There you go. Um, but for a guy like a Lineker, you need to build him up with the machine a little bit. I mean, that that's unfortunately, you know, some guys just aren't, you know, that huge of talkers and they just need a little help. And I think by showing his fights and really building up his story a little more, building around him instead of, you know, forcing him to kind of promote his own fights, I think that's probably the key to to really getting people interested in someone like a John Lineker. Well, and the ironic thing, too, is that if you take what what you often hear from the, the mass MMA audience as what they're looking for in a fight or in a fighter – a lot of it is the stuff that John Lineker brings to the table. It's finishes. It's all action. There's no backward steps. There's no pauses. There are no moments where he's being super technical and super strategic and kind of waiting on, on opportunities and openings. This is a dude that tucks his chin, goes forward every minute that the fight is on, throwing big shots, head hunting, great body work. And then dives on opportunities and finishes. And so it really is to me a shame that the UFC hasn't been able to find a way or even commit the energy to promoting some of these guys a little more. As you said, instead of just pointing at them and saying, you need to do this, recognize the opportunities and recognize the moments where it's going to take more from the company than these guys are able to do themselves to potentially get them over and to potentially expose them to a larger audience because it's unfair 
in this day and age in 2016 to just say, oh, well, but he can't speak English as his first language, so that's automatically going to limit him. There's lots of, lots of athletes around the world whose native tongue isn't English that are still massive stars in North America and to a global audience. That shouldn't be the limiting factor. His performances have been phenomenal. If he goes out and has another one this weekend, there's no reason that this guy doesn't reach a level where he's on par in terms of standing in the division with a guy like Cody Garbrandt and becomes one of those young stars in the division that they are pushing forward. So I really do hope it happens, regardless of whether he wins or not. And and not just to this fight, but for a lot of these emerging talents that don't have that natural charisma or that natural ability to get on the mic and really promote themselves the way that, unfortunately, the guys that are getting the most attention and the biggest opportunities these days seem to be doing it. So it'll be interesting to see once the dust settles from this one, who is victorious and how the UFC goes about sort of reclaiming and and building them up, given that we both agree that this is a little bit of a lost opportunity, but what should still be a really entertaining fight. And I mean, it, it has been like, you know, done before. If you, if you, Look at a guy like Robbie Lawler, for example. I mean, that that's your perfect example. <laughs> right there. I mean, no, all due respect to Robbie Lawler, but English might as well be his second language because he talks so little and he doesn't say much. He just goes out there and, you know, destroys people in the octagon. That's that's kind of what he did. And, and the UFC did the right thing in marketing him that way as that scary-ass dude who does that. And I think that's the right way to do it. I mean, you, you have to market, you know, Certain guys a certain way. Obviously, you know, John Lineker might not be at the level of a Robbie Lawler just yet. But, you know, you have to build them up somewhere and, and start, you know, making those promos where, you know, this guy's just a bad, bad dude. You know what I mean? Like, that's the way to do it with a guy like a John Lineker who has this ability to just sleep guys in a division where sleeping guys is so hard. So, <laughs> yeah, find, find yeah. that middle ground where you don't have Joe Rogan calling him a monster on a promo package 9,000 times over, (laughs) but also not ignoring him and not... To me, it's crazy that the UFC this many years in still has trouble marketing these tremendous talents from Brazil and other parts of the non-North American world. It just, it doesn't make sense to me given the smart people that we know that work in that company and the fact that you can look at, you know, you can go to the people in those offices in Brazil or in Europe and say, okay, what do we need to do to build this guy and, and build and, and sort of pull from what has made them stars in their local markets and their home markets to make that applicable across a larger audience. Because at the end of the day, the skills are there. The highlights are there. As we've said, you hit play on a John Lineker highlight reel and it doesn't matter that he uses a translator for all of his interviews in terms of relaying English information across. You just watch his fights and you're instantly into this dude. If you like fights, there's no way that you don't like John Lineker unless you're like a complete jujitsu purist. And even then, dude jumps on guillotines whenever he gets the opportunity. So it really is weird to me. It really doesn't make sense at this stage of the game that they haven't figured it out. But just as you were saying that about, you know, some of the struggles, all that kept playing through my head was 
They struggled to promote Jose Aldo. They struggled to promote Hannon Barrow. It took forever for them to actually be able to properly promote Anderson Silva. And it took Chael Sonnen coming along and calling him a bunch of names and pushing him to the brink for that to really kick in before it was just like, oh, by the way, this is the greatest fighter in the history of this sport. That's all you need to know. Obviously, John Lineker isn't there yet. Probably never going to get to the Anderson Silva level because very few people have. But he's a scary dude nonetheless. And there needs to be a way for the UFC to translate the potential and the excitement that these guys deliver into bringing fans in. Because as I said earlier, John Lineker is the epitome of what fight fans claim to want to see. And if they can't use that in a way to bring in an audience then they're doing something wrong and, and it needs to be fixed. And, you know, maybe that's what's missing from this card, a Chael Sonnen appearance in Portland. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, hey, you he, know. He works for a different company now, my friend. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Uh, who could forget? <laughs> we, we, we'll, get, we'll get to that company and there, some of their recent signings at, at a later date because you know me and, and my feelings on that so Bellator, but that that and the fact that they're entertaining the idea of signing w, former WWE star Ryback to a deal <laughs> just makes like just kills all the excitement I had about the Rory McDonald signing. You because, don't want Tito in jail? <laughs> oh, that feels like a fitting place to end. Like let's just let's just wrap it up on that. Like that to me speaks to why this is still a good card because at least we got some top 10 bantamweights. We've got Ill Will Brooks who escaped the Bellator chaos to come and really test himself and gets that second chance to prove it this weekend in Portland, Oregon on TSN2. Only a four-fight main card this time around, so it shouldn't drag on too long. There are still 12 fights, but the first eight of them are on Fight Pass and or the Fight Network. Hopefully it doesn't become one of those drawn-out six-and-a-half-hour fight cards where they're constantly thrown back to the studio. Hopefully we get some entertaining fights. Hopefully this card and some of the stars of this card step forward out of the shadow that they have been cast into this week by the UFC 205 press conference. And hopefully I reclaim my nice wide lead in the Punch Drunk predictions. I went on a two-week vacation I mailed in a couple of weeks of picks, and Patrick made up some ground. So you could check those out on Friday. We do have a number of different picks. Most of them are on the preliminary cards. But uh, between that and this event, I'm looking forward to the weekend. Patrick, let people know where to follow you to get your quips at me should mm -hmm. you make up a little bit more ground this weekend. Well, the real juicy ones are always on text. I mean, that's not <laughs> that's true. We keep those on text. We don't put those out to everybody. <laughs> I, you know, we we gotta uphold some kind of standard. But you can follow me at uh, uh, at p a t c w i k l i n s k i on Twitter. As always, as Spencer said, we got punch trunk predictions coming up. I'm looking forward to uh, reclaiming my title by the end of the year. And, uh, yeah, look out for, for lots of content, obviously, at Keyboard Kimura, and tune in. Yeah, depending on, on how these fights shake out, you could very well end up in the lead if everything breaks your way. I am hoping that it does not, and I extend my lead back again, make up the ground that I lost. You can check that out, as Patrick mentioned, on keyboardkimura.theprovince.com 
slash MMA blog. Follow me on Twitter at Spencer Kite. Woke up to a nice surprise on Thursday morning, that little blue check mark next to the name. Shout out to Twitter. Thanks for the verified account. As always, we hope you enjoy the fights this weekend. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We thank you for listening. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboardkimura. Kimura.